God, help us to be still before you, to be open-handed before you, to be attentive, to let go of the things that we're clutching, that we're grabbing, that we're grasping for, and to be open and receptive to you, to your spirit, to your word, to your will, and to your way. Give us ears that are good to hear, eyes that are good to see, hearts that are good and fertile soil to receive your word. I pray and ask that as my words are true to your word, that they be taken to heart. If my words should stray or deviate in any way from your word, may they be quickly forgotten. We pray in Christ the Lord. Amen. So over the past six weeks, we have seen the word justice written in lots of places and in lots of ways. We have heard the word justice spoken exuberantly, emphatically, sometimes with anger, sometimes with vehemence. Justice for so-and-so. We demand justice. There must be justice. No justice, no peace. But what does this word mean? What does the word justice really mean? We hear a lot, or we have heard a lot lately, about the Department of Justice, the Justice Department. We are familiar with some more than others, some more closely than others, the justice system. We know people who have gotten degrees from college in criminal justice. In the year 1892, a minister by the name of Francis Bellamy penned what became known as our country's Pledge of Allegiance. And after the words, under God, were added to it in 1954, it went like this. It reads like this. You can say it with me if you know it. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. With liberty and justice for all. And then there's the mall-based chain of stores for young girls called Justice which to me, even as the father of three girls, feels like an injustice or at least an almost irreverent or commercially expedient use of that really important word or term or idea. And then the word justice has sometimes or often been coupled with the word society or social to make social justice, which means a lot of different things specific and general to a lot of different people that have some very positive connotations about that word, some very negative connotations about that phrase. Depending on one's perspective, depending on the certain issues being discussed or remembered or thought about, being referred to at a specific time, social justice has meant a lot of different things to a lot of different people. It's come in and out of fashion and vogue. And it's being heard, spoken, discussed again today in the public square. Now, interestingly, uh, First Prez's core values include a mention of the phrase social justice. And by that, and we're going to put the whole up there, by that we mean something that maybe everyone else doesn't mean. And we don't mean everything that everyone else does mean but we mean a particular sort of thing. And we've coupled it intentionally with the word compassion or to suffer with in Latin. To suffer with compassion, to have a sense of 
care or empathy or sympathy, to be attentive to those who are hurting and suffering, compassion. But compassion alone is not enough and not all that we are called to. We are also called to act and to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And not just on an individual basis, but out in our society as well. Hence, social justice. Or maybe better for our use, a just society. Having compassion, exhibiting compassion, and being committed to a society that is just. The Hebrew word most often translated justice is mishpat. Let's all say that together. Mishpat. Good. And it shows up more than 400 times in the Old Testament in the Hebrew Bible and in some English translations as well. And it does so with a variety of meanings starting in the 18th chapter of the book of Genesis where we read, For I have chosen him, and that him is Abraham, God speaking, for I have chosen him so that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. And those words are very closely related in Hebrew, not just etymologically, but also sort of in their understanding of how they go together and fit together. Righteousness or uprightness or rightness, goodness. Keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. And what the Lord had spoken about him and intended to bring upon Abraham and his descendants and offspring and eventually everyone on the face of the earth was blessing and blessing and blessing and blessing. And Genesis 18 records for us the importance in that of righteousness and justice. Uh, One author has uh, talked about how these seeds in God's call to Abraham in chapters 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22 of Genesis are not only instructive but are critical for the DNA of what would become God's chosen people on earth. That was Genesis. Then comes Exodus 23, verse 2. You shall not follow the masses in doing evil, nor shall you testify in a dispute so as to turn aside after a multitude in order to pervert justice. Later in that chapter, you shall not pervert the justice due to your needy brother in his dispute. Do not take advantage of the needy brother in his or her dispute. Going on to Deuteronomy, where more than any other book other than the prophets and Psalms, we see discussions and mentions of justice. We read in Deuteronomy 24, 7, Do not deprive the foreigner or the fatherless of justice, or take the cloak of the widow as a pledge. There's a subtle reference there to what biblical scholars call the quartet of unprivileged or the quartet of the suffering. Those who are poor, those who are immigrants, those who are fatherless or orphans and widows, those who cannot take care of themselves. Deuteronomy 27, 19, Cursed is anyone who withholds justice from the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow. Then all the people shall say, Amen. Let's say that together. Amen. Psalm 33, the Lord loves righteousness and justice. Those two often go together. The earth is full of his unfailing love. 
And notice how justice, righteousness, and God's unfailing love fit together neatly. Justice we sometimes think of in the terms of criminal justice, of the justice system, of an angry judge dishing out justice to criminals, to people who have broken laws, to bad people, to depraved people. But here justice comes out of God's love and is a part of God's love, administering it to people who are hurting, suffering, alone, disenfranchised. Psalm 36, your righteousness is like the highest mountains. Your justice is like the great deep. You, Lord, preserve both people and animals, part of God's constant providence for people. Psalm 72, may he judge your people in righteousness, your afflicted ones in justice. Not your bad ones, not your terrible ones, not your criminals in justice, but your afflicted ones. Are you following me? Psalm 99, the king is mighty. He loves justice. And we may have read Psalms like that and thought the king is mighty. He's on a throne. He's got a scepter. He's powerful. He's banging that scepter. He loves dispensing justice. But it says the king is mighty. He loves justice. You have established equity. Equity. In Jacob you have done what is just and right. And here's the idea of fairness of balance equity psalm 103 a psalm that we love because it begins talking about god's mercy and forgiveness and uh, doing away with our sins psalm 103 the lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed for all the oppressed Psalm 112 good will come to those who are generous and lend freely who conduct their affairs with justice Justice is lending freely. Justice is being generous. It's a very different idea than maybe what we've thought of as justice up till this point. Psalm 140, I know that the Lord secures justice for the poor and upholds the cause of the needy. And that's just sort of through the Psalms, uh, the mentions, the references, the teaching about justice just ramps up exponentially when we get into the prophets, into Isaiah and Jeremiah. In Isaiah 12 or 10 we read, Woe to those who make unjust laws, to those who issue oppressive decrees to deprive the the poor of their rights and withhold justice from the oppressed of my people making widows their prey and robbing the fatherless, taking advantage of widows and orphans. What will you do on the day of reckoning when disasters comes from afar? To whom will you run for help? Where will you leave your riches? Isaiah 56, this is what the Lord says, maintain justice and do what is right for my salvation is close at hand and my righteousness will soon be revealed. Maintain justice and do what is right. And I've always read and thought of those words as have a good, solid legal system, a strong police force, a well-organized and above-reproach judicial system. And maybe it includes that too. And then we get to Micah, the probably best-known verse or passage in all of the scriptures mentioning or having to do with justice. It's made its way to refrigerator magnets, to wall furnishings in our homes, to the cups and mugs that we carry around our coffee in, to t-shirts, And on and on and on. He has told you, O man, Micah wrote, Micah of Moresheth, who was speaking to a people, Israel, 
who had again and again betrayed God's way, betrayed God's heart, taken advantage of people, messed with the scales, moved the boundary lines at night. He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and love kindness or mercy in some translations in English. To do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. And we see those words matched together. Justice, humility, kindness. They all belong together, not just in Micah 6.8, but throughout the Old Testament and the Scriptures. Justice has to do with, it pertains to humility before God, rather than heavy-handedness. It pertains to kindness rather than harshness. What, O oh man, are we required to do? Love justice, do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. And not just the Old Testament, where the word justice appears more than it does in the New Testament explicitly, but it's all over the New Testament as well. Jesus, chapter 12 of the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew writes, aware that the Pharisees were plotting to kill Jesus, Jesus withdrew from that place. A large crowd followed him and he healed all who were ill. Again, he's doing what the Old Testament calls justice. He, war- <coughs> he warned them not to tell others about him. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not stuff out till or until he has brought justice through to victory. In his name, the nations will put their hope. And certainly we have focused all of our understanding of that verse and that passage on the cross of Jesus. And God did enact or bring about justice through the cross of Jesus in this cosmic and transcendental way without a doubt rescuing us from our sins, paying our penalty, in a penal sense, bringing about justice for who we are. But also Jesus was continually bringing about justice in the real world, in the here and now, among people, in his interactions, a different kind of justice. In the Gospel of Luke, in verse uh, chapter 11, Woe to you Pharisees, Jesus says, because you give a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You neglect justice and the love of God. Again, look at the words that Jesus puts together. Justice and love. Justice is how we love people in certain contexts, in certain ways. The just action is whatever will bring about the greatest amount of good and reduce the greatest amount of harm for the greatest number of people in the scriptures. Justice is maximizing welfare, the well-being of individuals and communities and nations. Whatever increases good for the most people and reduces harm for the most people, that is the idea of justice. And I am aware, I am aware that this can sound like a political and economic system that we think of as socialism or democratic socialism. And that is not what the scriptures teach. 
On the other hand, a pure capitalistic economic and political system can also be vicious, cruel, relentless, merciless. It can be without the gospel enmeshed in it. And there is nothing just about that. Justice is to protect the weak, to protect the vulnerable, to protect the oppressed. Justice is fairness. Justice in the Bible has in mind constantly this quartet of vulnerables. But not only the quartet of biblical vulnerables, but of all people who are vulnerable, who are susceptible, who are weak, who do not have power, who have been taken advantage of, who have been oppressed, who have been used, who have been ignored, who have been discarded. And you can go through our world and put all kinds of labels on those people, name and find all kinds of people in those categories. And the scriptures call out for justice for those people. And some of what we've heard over the last weeks in our society is calling out for justice for those kind of people. People calling out to God, people calling out to the church, people calling out to society. We need justice, this thing that you say that you affirm and believe in. This thing testified to you and us in your scriptures and by your Messiah. Justice. We need justice. There are others who are calling out for justice, for some to be put in jail, for some to be prosecuted. No one's calling out for that kind of justice for themselves. But many are looking for a more just society. My hope is that Christians can be in the lead of that. Doing justice meant, in the Old Testament in particular, Not only not doing wrong, but also actively doing right and restoring what is broken. God's justice is higher than merely punishing someone who has committed an injustice. God desires to restore everything that was lost. For many of us, justice is something that is static, idealistic, and codified in the law. In contrast, mishpat is dynamic, it is realistic, it is creative. And many of our minds... Justice has been retributive or rectifying. The most common kinds of justice in our society, at least over the last 50 years. Retributive justice, where people are punished for their wrongdoing. Rectifying judgment, where people must make amends because of the wrong they did. They stole $100, they have to pay back $100. An even transaction like that. But then there's another kind of justice called restorative justice where love and compassion and caring are a part of not just bringing a person back into the community but helping them to heal, helping them to be reconciled not only to the rest of society but also to the ones they have hurt and wounded. Bringing about, again, something the Bible calls shalom. Are we, in that way, just people? Are we interested, as the scriptures are interested, in justice, that sort of justice?
The incarceration rate in the United States over the last several decades has doubled and doubled and doubled and doubled. 5% of the world's population lives in the United States. 25% of those incarcerated who are behind bars, in jail, in prison, in the penal system, are in the United States. Again, 5% of the world's population lives in the United States. 25% of the world's incarcerated people are in the United States. Black men make up 6% of the population of the United States. Black men make up more than 40% of the population of those behind bars in the United States. One in 17 white men in the United States at some point in their lives will end up behind bars for some period of time for something. One in 17 sounds astounding to me. One in three black men in the United States at some point in his life will end up behind bars which to me are disturbing, alarming, troubling numbers and make me think there may be more to this situation simply that black men commit more crime than white men or others. There's only one race of people in the United States who were brought here as slaves and who lived here for hundreds and hundreds of years as slaves and when we were freed or emancipated, weren't really fully freed for another 100 or 150 years. What does justice look like for them today? What might justice look like for them today? What might a just society in our world today look like? What might a church that is interested in and attentive to and committed to the biblical ideas of justice be about? Had an opportunity to speak uh, yesterday with Kevin Fournier, uh, who's a member of the congregation, been around for a number of years, and uh, we uh, recorded a little video just for fun. We're going to look at that, watch that, listen to that right now. Hi, we're here with uh, Kevin Fournier. Kevin is a scientist Monday through Friday, and on Sunday mornings, you don't see much of him because he's behind the scenes running sound at First Press for the past few years. We've got an opportunity to talk with Kevin now about Street Life Ministries and his involvement with Street Life. Street Life uh, runs a ministry about five nights a week up and down the peninsula where they minister to the physical and the spiritual and social needs of homeless people for the most part. Kevin, how did you first get involved or come to get involved with uh, Street Life Ministries? Uh, so, so Dave Sharon, who's the worship director for Street Life, um, came to First Press one Sunday and gave a bit of his testimony and talked about the, the ministry itself. And I felt uh, both called and challenged to participate. So, you know, it's a blessing to serve others. And this is a population of others who, who need help and uh, God's kingdom is available to all. So it was a perfect uh, opportunity, conjunction, perfect uh, chance to jump. Hmm. What are some things that you've learned? Or let me say first, what's a typical evening look like for you of ministry with Street Life Ministries? So, so there are many volunteers with many roles and, and my role in particular is, is a driver. So, so I 
bring the food from where it's prepared, um, usually at uh, Peninsula Covenant Church, but sometimes a restaurant will prepare special meals or, or even a person in their home. And I'll go with the big van from Street Life and pick up the food. I bring it to the site. There's a Redwood City site that served two nights a week, a Menlo Park site that served two nights a week. And there's actually a Saturday morning breakfast as well. And then with the volunteers who were there, I helped them set up the tables, set out the food, prepare the food. Uh, previously, before COVID, we had fellowship, gathering, um, a pretty decent band of uh, street musicians, and um, as well as a message. Now we deliver the message, Dave or another preacher will, will deliver the message, and the volunteers will package up the food into goat containers we hand it to, to the guests, to the, 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 the people who are there for the, the meal, and they leave. Mm. So that's changed. That's great. Uh, good stuff. Um, what are some things that you've learned about yourself, about God, about ministry through your experience with street life? Well, so, so I've learned for sure that um, you know, it's very easy to, to not see people who somehow are inconvenient to us or somehow offend us in some way. And we're all made in the image of God. So there really is no difference between the most abundantly blessed individual with health, wealth, beauty, whatever, and someone on the street struggling with um, emotional illness, mental illness, substance abuse, uh, whatever demons are, are hanging on to them from their past. And if you have the resources to give that brother or that sister what they need at that time, which might be a warm meal, it might be a hygiene kit, it might be a haircut, it might be the word of God, um, then you have to do that. It's, it's, it's what God asked us to do. Awesome. Uh, are there opportunities, uh, Kevin, for other people to be involved with Street Life Ministries? Yeah, there's always opportunities. There, there are many jobs, many roles. Um, the driver role is somewhat uh, in, involved and it requires some training. You could just uh, show up as a volunteer to serve the meals. Um, you could also serve in other capacities as a table captain and organize the volunteers who were there in, on the sites in the evenings. Um, there are many, many, many opportunities in our community, of course, uh, Samaritan House, for example, just up the street from, from our church. Um, there are people up and down the peninsula who are, are our brothers and sisters and our neighbors. And, you know, as we were uh, instructed to, to love our neighbor as ourself. And who is our neighbor? Everyone. So there are opportunities all around. You just have to, to open your eyes and hear, hear the, the call in your heart and answer it. Um, that's it. Good stuff. I'm glad and encouraged by your listening to that call and that voice, the voice of God. Uh, if you want to know more about Street Life, uh, you can see our Thursday e-news. You can call the church office or you can get in, get in touch with Kevin directly and he'd be glad to tell you more. Thanks, Kevin. Great to be with you. Oh, thanks, Shannon. I appreciate the opportunity. Biblical justice is about making sure that those without access, resources, and privileges are cared for. We have sometimes condescendingly called that welfare or charity. The Bible calls it justice. World Vision says... The Bible makes justice a mandate of faith and a fundamental expression of Christian discipleship. Social justice has its biblical roots in a triune God who time and time again shows his love and compassion for the weak, the vulnerable, the marginalized, the disenfranchised, the disinherited. 
Social justice is about creating kingdom space in the here and now, giving witness to the ultimate just society yet to come. So every time we add our voice and influence to get in the way of injustice, whether it's human trafficking, economic exploitation, human rights abuses, or infants dying needlessly from disease and malnutrition, we provide a foretaste of God's kingdom to come. Tim Keller has written, if you are trying to live a life in accordance with the Bible, the concept and call to justice are inescapable. We do justice when we give all human beings their due as creations of God. Doing justice includes not only the righting of wrongs, but generosity and social concern, especially toward the poor and vulnerable. Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with our God, with liberty and justice for all. Let's pray. Continually mold us, shape us, God, into kingdom people. We lament and we repent for the ways that we have rejected your ideas about justice, for the ways that we have turned the other cheek, for the ways that we have not crossed the road, for the ways that we have ignored and the ways indirectly that we've participated in taking advantage of other people. Forgive us, heal us, restore us, reconcile us to yourself, through your son, through his cross. Make us one, bring about shalom in the church and among us and out in the world. And bring about a world where people are all cared for, where people are provided for, where hunger is no more, where weeping and tears our thing of the past. And in all of this, God, be glorified. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.